0: Are listening to episode 89 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm one of the hosts of Shades Midweek. My name is Joe Mark DeRoe. I'm the worshiping community pastor here at Shades Valley Community Church. Uh, we are recording this live in Four Stream Studios, and I'm joined by discipleship pastor here at SVCC, none other than Mr. Brad Brown. Hey, John Mark, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing well. We are getting kind of deep into November here. Real deep. The time has changed, Daylight Savings. Yeah, how do you feel about that? It's getting dark at like 3 p.m. I hate it. Every day. Uh, I'm indifferent about it. I don't mind it getting darker earlier. Uh, Just maybe not like this early.
1: Yeah, I hate it.
0: Like if we didn't do Daylight Savings time, then it would only get dark around like 5.50. Mm-hmm. Or six, mm-hmm. which would be better. I totally. Think. It'd be I a agree. little better. It'd still be early, but it'd be a little better. But I do enjoy the cooler weather. Mm-hmm. We've been making oh, a, we've been make, making some fires at our house.
1: Oh yeah. And mm-hmm.
2: so I do. Leaves enjoy
0: are
1: falling. That. Leaves are falling. I've got Thanksgiving on the mind.
0: Yeah. What are you? Do you have any plans for Thanksgiving? Because we're probably not doing an episode next week. So this is going to be our only episode right before Thanksgiving. That's so, right. Yes. You got Jordan any plans? and I,
1: you had, Jordan and I are headed to North Carolina to spend the holidays with her family. So that's gonna be fun. I love North Carolina in the fall. It's beautiful. Have you ever been? Uh I've
0: been to North Carolina before. Uh yeah, I think I've been in the fall. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's beautiful. The mountains. Yeah. The leaves changing colors. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time.
0: Yeah, we are gonna be staying here in Birmingham. Yeah. Ashley's nice Ashley's too. mom is flying in from Wisconsin next Love week, that. so she's gonna stay with us for like four or five days, and we'll go eat Thanksgiving dinner with my parents down in uh, Westover. Oh so. yeah,
1: what uh, what food item are you most looking forward to?
3: Ooh,
1: gosh! Tough question. Can only pick one. Dressing, yeah. probably. Dude, I'm a yeah. big dressing guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very particular about my dressing. So good. Yeah. That's so we'll, awesome.
0: So we'll be doing that. We'll be having some dressing, some turkey. We'll be having probably some mac and cheese or something. I don't know what Oh, it is. yeah. I'm Love not that. big into the cranberry. Are oh, you, really? Do you like the cranberry sauce? I like the canned, the canned cranberry. cranberry sauce so without does, the so stems Ashley. and stuff. Yeah. Mess, that so does Ashley.
1: freaks me out when all that stuff's in there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it's exciting time here at Shades Valley. I'm trying to think of what's going on. We've got a men's cookout coming up. That's right, um, this weekend. Should let everybody know, we've started announcing it next week. We are not doing the Christmas Spectacular this year.
1: I know. And I've seen is, the sorrow on people's face when we announce it. And well, just tears, really. D- yeah. Just straight, straight to tears.
0: And I feel you. And we'll probably bring it back next year. But with everything mm-hmm. going on this year, we thought we would take a break. We're just yep. going to do something really simple and have a Christmas party in the park right across the street from it's gonna Chase It's going to be Valley great. At Patriot Park. That morning, it's uh, December 5th, I believe, is the date. I could be wrong. Sounds right. Whatever that Sunday is, um, we're... Going to attempt to do one service that morning, it would be outside in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. It'll be like an acoustic outdoor service uh, like we did last month. And immediately following that service, service will probably be over by 1030, we'll head over to the park. People can bring their own uh, lunch, their own food from home if they prefer. We're going to have a cornhole tournament. Yep. so that'll be fun it'll be mixed it'll be mixed couple uh like mixed gender what do you call it mixed yep. doubles yep that sounds right mixed doubles mm-hmm. um cornhole tournament maybe a prize oh definitely
1: a prize yeah that i haven't gotten yet
0: and really i mean the playground will be right there That's so right. The kids can it's run gonna around be, great. be loud Um, We'll probably have some Christmas music playing in the background or something. I don't know. It'll be real,
1: real chill. It's going to be great. And by that point, we'll be in the
0: midst of Advent. Yes. So Advent
1: starts not this Sunday, but the next.
0: Yeah. So be on the lookout for the Advent devotional. That'll be coming out as well. That's
1: right. So a lot of great stuff happening. We have a lot of great stuff on this podcast, John Mark. So I think we need to get into it.
0: Let's take a trip down to the email corridor. All right, so we did an episode last week on the Birmingham and Campaign Chapter launch. If you haven't listened to that, go check that out. We talked all about the Chapter launch event. Uh, Tanisha Mm -hmm. is a member here at Shades Valley. For those of you who don't know Tanisha, you need to meet her. She's awesome. Her family's amazing. And she was actually at the event as well. She was one of the... uh, one of the Shades people that was there represented. That's right. And she responded,
1: it must have been my little tagline at the end of the episode.
0: I'm sure that's exactly what it was. Shades Midweek,
1: where you're a part of the conversation.
0: She writes in and says, great summary summary of the event, y'all. Yes, so many powerful moments. A few things that stuck out to me. Uh, Desegregation, wide flight, uh, Birmingham suburbia. The book, Some of My Best Friends Are Black, by Colson Tanner, speaks to this, specifically his own experience as a student of Estavia School Systems During Integration. If you haven't read, I'd recommend, even if just for a skim, super eye-opening to school system history in the area and how messed up it is. I definitely want to read that book. I've never heard of that before, um, or at least by title. I may have heard of a book that, that had that content in it, yeah. That was local, like a local history book. but Say that um, title one more time. Some of My Best Friends Are Black okay. by Colson Tanner. Right. And yeah, she's kind of speaking uh, about Colin Hansen's talk because he gave a lot of some history on Birmingham. He talked yep. a lot about integration and basically how when integration happened, uh, a lot of the white students that were in the Woodlawn, uh, the city of Woodlawn, eventually started to move out. White flight happened. And um, so you kind of had this almost a resegregation, even though they were trying to desegregate Mm -hmm. or integrate the schools. Uh, So you still end up with today, you know, 95% or some, it's either over 95% of the students at Woodlawn are uh, black. And basically you have a school system like Vestavia, which is overwhelmingly white. So um, he talks he talked a lot about that in his talk if you haven't listened to it yet all right continuing in the email uh, she wanted to mention the churches that didn't allow black attendees the Neil Inns, uh that Colin mentioned just gripped my heart and insane that we're not talking about hundreds of years ago so mm-hmm. recent yeah Yeah. Um, she said, where are the ladies at? <laughs> there were lots of women in attendance that night. Just thought it was weird. None were given platform to speak. sure Maybe I'm just being that feminist. But, hey, someone's <laughs> got to do it. Um, I will say I, I was not there, and I know that the three uh, main speakers, including the chapter lead, were all male um, I do know, I have followed and campaign on Instagram for quite a long time now, and they give, uh, quite a lot of platform, at least through social media and some of the things that they do, uh, to female leaders. And especially there's a, there's a whole movement, uh, called the whole life. Uh, I don't know if it's the whole life campaign, whole life movement. Uh, but it's basically from womb to the tomb. So they talk about, uh, pro-life, and kind of their stances on that and where they stand. Uh, but also after children are born kind of where they stand on the death penalty and, and other policies like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of that is led by females and that they give a lot of female voices an opportunity there and also on their podcast as well. So definitely check, check those uh, things out if you haven't, she said, uh, I'll end with a few recommendations of my own. Keep up the good work. Everyone movies, I know they're not books, but still good starting points to inspire further reading. Listen, you don't have to downplay movies, okay, Tanisha? I love That's right. Not with this
1: crowd, you don't. That's right.
0: Uh, Her movie recommendations, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I did watch. Yep, Um, I've seen it. uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, I have not seen that. I believe Mm -hmm, that's about James Baldwin. Uh, Malcolm X, the Denzel Washington Malcolm X film. Uh, I, I do own it. I haven't seen it. i got to get it. <laughs> I have not seen it either, actually. Uh, it's been on my list for a while. And then books. She said, I can't remember, but did you all do an episode on Jesus and John Wayne that was such a good book and could bring about some good conversation as well related to and campaign stuff? Uh, we have not done have an not. episode. I have read that book. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it quite a bit, and I have recommended it to Brad and Jonathan. Uh, Brad and Jonathan read a lot um, and they're prepping a lot of sermons so they don't always have time to read um, all the books that I'm reading as well but I've definitely recommended it and if we all get a chance to read it it would be cool to do an episode on
1: that I have point. it I just oh, got to open it? it up yeah once school once I get a break from school
0: it's a great I hope to pick it up great picture of kind of American evangelical history really from the 1940s to present day, and a lot of it is talking about the rise of the religious right um, and kind of picking out, you know, uh, prominent evangelical figures, some more fundamentalist, uh, such as like Jerry Falwell, people like that, but it but it, uh, it just goes through a history, um, and I thought it was very, very, very good, so everybody should read that. Know your history. It's important. Mm. All right. Uh, that is our email for the week. We don't have anything else. If you'd like to email into us, please email us at midweek at shaysvalley.org. Or you're part of the conversation. <laughs> JM's
1: album of the.
0: Oh my goodness Oh my
1: gosh It's the new Britney Spears album
0: (laughs) My album for this week Comes from Mr. Vince Garaldi Jazz pianist musician Yes Oh my goodness The record is called The Grace Cathedral Concert Yes Um, This this album's amazing It's amazing (laughs) It's so, so good. So let me give you, uh, yeah. just for a people bit that of are history, like, what, is, what happening? is happening right now? <laughs> I'm going to let that keep playing in the background, but I'm going to talk yes. about this. Um, at Grace Cathedral, also known as Vince Guaraldi at Grace Cathedral, or the Grace Cathedral Concert, is a live performance album by jazz pianist Vince Garaldi, released in the United States in 1965 on Fantasy Records. The performance was recorded live at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. It is considered to be the world's first jazz mass presented during a church service. Uh, It was released on CD in 1997. Here's a little bit of the background of the work for everyone. In an effort to make religious worship more approachable during the growing counterculture movement of the 1960s, the Reverend Charles Gom, uh, Gompertz, 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 maybe, approached local jazz pianist Vince Geraldi to create what he called a modern setting for the Choral Eucharist. Garaldi spent every Saturday over a period of eighteen months, eighteen re- months, <laughs> rehearsing with the sixty-eight voice Saint Paul's Church of San Rafael Choir to create a seamless blend. Of three unique elements for the performance—spoken or chanted prayers and greetings, vocals with the choir, and some purely intra- instrumental selections—here's uh, Geraldi on the significance of his perform of this performance. "Quote: I had one of America's largest cathedrals as a setting, a top choir, and a critical audience. That would be more than more than justified in finding fault." I was in a musical world that had lived with the Eucharist for 500 to 600 years, and I had to improve and or update it to 20th century musical standards. This was the most awesome and challenging thing I had ever attempted. Wow. (laughs) Um, The album Liner Notes pointed out that audience members in attendance commented that Theme for Grace, I'm going to play Theme for Grace right now, was reminiscent of supper music. The reverend replied, that's the idea. What does communion represent but the last supper, the last time these men ate together? Mm -hmm. So, Mm. theme to grace. It's
1: beautiful, man. So beautiful.
0: The song titles were chosen by the reverend rather than Garaldi at the behest of the record executives. The religious service was one long, uninterrupted performance. The record company asked the reverend to divide the resulting recording into segments that would make sense in the context of a commercially released album. Hmm. Uh, side note, Geraldi recruited several children from the St. Paul's Church of San Rafael Choir several months later to record vocals for Christmas time is here, my little drum and hark the Herald Angels sing for a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh This is amazing. This just makes me feel so good. I've been listening to it this week and just loving it. I know you've listened to it a ton as well. Totally
1: love it. Yes. So for people that might be thinking this sounds a little familiar, it's because this is the man that created Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, he...
0: He did all. He's done all the work for the television programs uh, that came out in the 60s, A Charlie Brown Christmas, the uh, the Halloween one and the Thanksgiving one. I'm blanking on the names, mm-hmm. but he did all the music for that. So it's that very familiar jazz. It's a great mixture of jazz. There's a little bit of Latin influence mm. in some sections. And the way that they do these songs, I mean, Agnes Day, O Lamb of God. The title. So Beautiful. Oh my goodness. All about jazz critic Douglas Payne dubbed at Grace Cathedral, quote, Peanuts goes to church. <laughs> You know, it's being Charlie Brown. Whoa. Hey, one Man. quick thing, and then uh, and then I'm going to let it go here because this is just amazing. Uh, one other quick thing that I didn't realize, I'm going to have to do some more research on this. Uh, one of the musical critics uh, that lauded the record um, added that in the same year, we also saw Duke Ellington, Dave Brubeck, and uh, Lalo Schrifrin write jazz-based ba- pieces for the, for church. Huh. And so I need to go back, and I don't even know check what those, those pieces out. are. I'd love to check those out. But he said, Vince Guaraldi's may have come up with the most effective sacred work of the four. Mm. Um, this was considered groundbreaking for its time. It was the first instance that a mainstream jazz musician was heard during an American church service. You know, I was thinking about this mm. with it being countercultural, and I'm like, you know, sometimes it's like, like think about like youth groups and stuff like the youth leaders like we got to we got to reach the kids you know so they do <laughs> something like kind of silly and uh-huh. what I love about this is that this is timeless mm. it it it's it's within that time frame but it's so classic and it's so well done that it mm-hmm. becomes timeless yep and it doesn't get stuck in this oh it was this these christians that were trying to do something to match or counter what was happening in the culture but yet bringing it alongside and adapting it to like he said these historical <laughs> chants and greetings and songs I mean yeah. it's just beautiful
1: yeah. how he did this and that's what it, great art does it stands the test of
0: time yeah yeah. Mon- truly monumental let me know what you think about this record it is the Grace Cathedral concert by Vince Guaraldi you can find it on Spotify Apple Music check all it, all it out Stuff. yep awesome awesome <laughs> Speaking of the cathedral,
1: this intro is actually also composed by Vince. Speaking of great art, what an intro. <laughs> no, Talk about timeless. No doubt the intro to Bradford's Book Club will stand the test of time. It will remain from generation to generation. Okay. This week, I am excited about the book that I'm going to be recommending, now that I'm normally not excited about the book that I'm recommending. This book is titled "Pray Daily. Pray Daily. Let me read a little bit from the introduction. I like the way that it looks. Yes. It, it's leather bound. Yes. It's probably a fake leather. And it's but thin, too. It's very thin. Yes. I like that. So you might be asking. It's like a pocket edition almost. Yes. You, you could you take say. it with you. I don't know if you could fit it in your pocket unless you had really, really baggy jeans or an overalls or something. Maybe in your purse or a satchel. Either would be acceptable. A backpack. Yes. And this is something that you would want to take with you each day. It's really a prayer guide. So, the 17th century Anglican Jeremy Taylor famously said, Pray frequently and effectually. I'd rather your prayers should be often than long. I like that. I'd rather your prayers be often than long. So, Pray Daily is a devotional aid to help you build a habit of more regular and purposeful prayer. It's arranged in the Anglican prayer book tradition and is suitable for all Christians seeking a deeper relationship with God. The book includes four times of prayer, morning, noon, evening, and bedtime for seven days of the week. Traditionally, these prayers were observed at set times, morning upon waking with breakfast, noon at midday or with lunch, evening at the end of the day or with dinner, and bedtime before sleep or after the family retires. Using Pray Daily does not require you to pray all four times a day. You should choose a frequency of prayer that is suitable to your growth. As a disciple of Jesus, many who use this book may only pray twice a day at times. Most convenient to, to them, begin where you are. So, it has a bunch of recommendation for practices of prayer. And what I like about this prayer book, this devotional guide, is it has different prayers for each day of the week and each day time of day. And it's just a very simple guide to to pray. So there's kind of a call to worship, and then there's a psalm, and then there's the Lord's Prayer, and then there's prayer to intercede for others. And then there's space for you to reflect and to meditate. And then there are other scriptures, and then there's kind of a conclusion And then there's space that you could add in your own scripture reading. So I actually do take this with me at times. And it's just a way for me to consistently pray throughout the day. It's very helpful to be given words in our prayer life. I think sometimes we can think that our prayers always need to be spontaneous or else they're not genuine or real. And I would argue otherwise. That part of the beauty of the church is having saints that have gone before us and presently put words into our mouth that communicate the beauty and depth of who God is. So, if you're someone that's out there and is looking for a little devotional guide that can help you in your times of prayer, can give you a little bit of structure, I would highly recommend this. Now, here's the thing you can't get it on Amazon or where, where else do people buy books? Uh, Barnes like a Noble? Christian bookstore, Barnes and Noble. Yes, you have to go to the website, which I meant to pull up on my phone, but got distracted. You need to go to. <laughs> um, my texts are like all scrolled all the way at the bottom. Well, while you're excuse looking, excuse me, praydailypress.com.
0: Okay, there you go. <laughs> Pray daily again.
1: Pray dailypress.com, prayer books for everyday life. And they also have a prayer book for children. So you can check that out. Pray Daily for Families. It's morning and evening prayer, fully illustrated. So it teaches children simple prayers that involve their bodies and engage their imaginations. I love it. So I believe this is a church that has put these resources together. So
0: check it out. I'll definitely be checking that out. That sounds really interesting. I love that. Um, yes. Very good. Great recommendation. All right. Well, Brad, uh, what do we have on the podcast today? Uh,
1: well, I continue to be excited in the midst of this podcast because <laughs> I got the chance That's to, right. to your sit ex- down. Your, your
0: excitement has not waned at it, all.
1: It has not. I just want to be clear yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. I got the chance to sit down with a friend of mine, Eric Venable. Eric is a counselor at Daymark Pastoral Counseling, and he and I have been getting lunch together and talking counseling and psychology, and so I thought it'd be great to bring him on and just have a conversation. So we really didn't have a plan of where it was going to go when we started. It's usually the best, though. But I thought we had a great conversation. I always learn so much from my time with Eric. I think he's a great counselor. He was previously a, a pastor. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to the scriptures and theology. So we sat down and we ended up talking about the church and mental health. We ended up talking about marriage conflict. We ended up talking about anxiety, depression. So we had a great conversation. I'm excited everyone gets to listening. Well, I am very excited because joining me in 4Stream Studios is my friend, I think I can say that, my friend, Eric Venable. Eric, thank you so much for coming in the studio today to talk with us.
4: Thanks for having me, Brad. Super glad to be here.
1: Yes, you said this is your first podcast,
4: right? It is my first. Yeah, so we are so glad...
1: We were so glad at Shades Midweek to have that honor. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I thought we could just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself.
4: Yeah, sure thing. So I work at a place called Daymark Pastoral Counseling. I've been doing that about four and a half years. I guess it'll be five spring of next year. Okay. I was a pastor previously for a number of years, um, mostly in the PCA. So I was in Tuscaloosa for about five and a half years, and was in western Colorado for just under a year, so maybe about six, six and a half years pastoral experience before I transitioned into counseling in Denmark.
1: Okay. Yep. So what led you to make that transition from pastor to counselor?
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of a slow process. I mean, you do you know counseling in the local church over the years, um, but definitely as the years go on, you kind of have a desire to do that. And, um, and really honestly, my relationship with the director of Daymark, a guy named Gordon Bowles is a big part of that. He actually married my wife and I. Oh, wow. A bunch of years ago now and then did our premarital counseling. So we've had a relationship with him, you know, on and off throughout yeah. the years and we've always kind of loved him and respected him and loved what he did.
1: You know, Gordon used to be a pastor at Shakespeare Community right. Church. So a lot back of people know day. him and Way he's, back in the day, he has yeah. a lot of good friends
4: here. Yeah. We yeah, love yeah. Gordon. Yeah. We love Gordon as well. He's had a big influence on us for sure. And, um. So really, I was just kind of trying to figure out the next move after I came back from Colorado. Been in pastoral ministry for a while. Wanted to do more counseling and just wasn't sure, you know, what that would look like. I did a little bit of training long distance, um, and then basically started talking with Gordon about possibly doing counseling in Denmark. Yeah. So I've loved it. It's been a huge blessing. I love my job. Um, it's hard some days, but it's a huge gift to be able to walk with people and enter into parts of their lives that can feel hard. And to just be able to be God's voice of grace and mercy in some really difficult places is a huge privilege that mm. um, I love for sure. Yeah, out of variety of jobs over the years, I think counseling in Daymark is easily my favorite uh, place that God has put me. Hope to be there for a while.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So you said it's Daymark pastoral counseling. For those right. that aren't familiar with Daymark at all, could you tell a little bit about Daymark and maybe sure. how it's unique from other counseling
4: agencies? Sure. Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, we would have some similarities with a number of counseling places. Yeah. Um, you know, the similarities would be something as simple as we want to help the people that God brings our way. Yeah. Um, we do come from our counseling from an explicitly Christian approach, so okay. the majority of people that come to us would be professing Christians. You don't have to be Christian to come Yeah. to yeah. Denmark. I've had a number of counseling situations where people actually were not believers, and I think those are actually Great opportunities to point people to Jesus and who He is and what He does. Yeah. Um, But the bulk of people who would come would be professing Christians, so we kind of have a a basic shared set of assumptions that we can start with from the very beginning in our counseling process. Um, That God is real, that God is active in our lives, that we need His help. And God's work in our lives is a huge part of the, of the change transformation process that I think is essential in counseling. Mm. But I think any, any counseling place is, at some point is going to work towards change, positive change in some kind of way. Yeah. We, just, we would be explicit in the fact that that change primarily comes from the work of God in our lives. Mm. As he sanctifies us, as he reveals things, as he encourages us, as he comforts us, that kind of thing.
1: Ah, yeah, that's awesome. So is there a specific area that you specialize in, or do you consider yourself more of kind of a general practitioner? How do you think about that?
4: Yeah, Um I've done some training in a couple of places that um, have been a huge blessing for me to make me feel more gifted and equipped for sure. So I, I'm increasingly doing more and more marriage counseling, and I've gotten some training through the Gottman Institute. Yeah. Gottman Institute's a, a secular organization, uh, but they've got some really kind of helpful, really practical kind of marriage tools that they give counselors. Yeah. Um, and then actually, uh, at the beginning of this year, I completed uh, a pastoral sex addiction professional training through an organization called ITAP. Okay. So ITAPS, International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, if I got that right. Okay. So that's like the main kind of licensing credentialing body that people that do uh, sexual addiction counseling will go through that organization. So those okay. are the two areas that I've gotten um, probably the most experience in training. Those are areas, I just love being able to walk you know, with people and come alongside them and um, speak God's words of grace and help mm. in places that can feel really overwhelming and really broken.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, earlier I mentioned that Eric and I are friends. I can't remember who first reached out to who, whether it was you trying to make connections with the church or whether it was me trying to make connections with you. But as I entered into this master's program for clinical mental health counseling, I wanted to talk to a counselor who's a Christian who saw real people (laughs) on a daily basis. Real live people. Yes, real live people. And so Eric and I talked, and we've been meeting on a fairly regular basis and discussing a book, and it's I've been so thankful to be able to meet and to be able to ask questions and to pick your brain, and Eric has been a source of wisdom in regards to counseling and pastoral counseling, and so I thought it would be great to bring him on the podcast and for y'all to be able to... Experience some of the conversations that he and I have over lunch. <laughs> so I'm not 100% sure where this conversation is going to go. We're going to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit a little bit. Uh, but, you know, when we were talking about the podcast earlier, one of the things you said that you love to talk about with churches is the church and mental health. So obviously, that is a very big topic. You could go a million different directions with that. But I thought that I would just kind of give you the floor, and that might be a way that we can open up the conversation, is talking about the church and mental health.
4: Yeah, it's such a huge, broad area, right? We can start in a lot of different places. And I feel like um, one of the hard blessings of COVID over the last year has just been the realization for a lot of people that we're more than just chemicals that fire in bodies, right? Like there's mm. a deeper part of ourselves that actually really matters. That's really important. Yeah, it's good. Part of ourselves that feels things, a variety of emotions, a part of ourselves that really needs to be in relationships with people. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think there's been a lot of exposure to the topic of this last year in ways that has been really positive. Um, yeah. As people have realized that uh, I need help in a variety of ways, right? Yeah, just yeah. like we would care for our body if something's broken we can think about our mind we can think about even spiritual issues being broken and seeing that it's just okay to reach out and ask for help in those ways mm. I feel like there used to be more of a stigma kind of with mental health issues I think yeah yeah think of that stigmas starting to change in some positive ways mm. um, as people just feel less shame and saying that there's parts of myself that are really important and matter uh, yeah. even if I can't touch those things or uh, describe them in a Scientific way, yeah. But those things are really important to me, you know. Yeah,
1: uh, I was gonna say, how would you put words to that stigma yeah. that you just talked about? That kind of uh, was pretty strong in our culture, yep. and is starting to change. How would how would you put words to that?
4: Yeah, well, I think, I think our flesh always is pushing us towards this mindset that says you need to be self sufficient. Right. Hmm. Everybody feels that wow. in some way or another, right? That it's, it's wrong to ask for help. Um, you should be better than that. You should be stronger than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the idea that you're a human being made in God's image and you're actually limited and you're actually made to depend on God and people can be something that we really struggle with. Mm. Like for a lot of us, yeah. the idea that I'm made to depend on God and someone else in a healthy way can just feel so shamefully wrong. Yes. So for a lot of us, maybe we grew up in homes where it's really instilled in you that your problems are yours and you need to figure them out. And Mm. you're somehow defective in some way if you can't do that all alone. Yeah. So Uh, going to
1: a counselor, would it actually mean that you're weak? Yeah, or that you have failed in some way. failed. Right.
4: Yeah. That you have failed uh, in a way that makes you broken and defective in a way that just feels shameful and wrong Mm. uh, for a lot of us. But I, I'm a big believer that, you know, the people who are going to grow, mature, and become stronger are the people that can just admit where you're weak, right? Mm. It is a strength to say, I need help, right? Yeah. Um, people that have this self-sufficient mindset are people that over time really deteriorate you know, yeah. on an emotional, spiritual, maybe even a physical level. Mm. Yeah. So if we want to go grow into strong, mature, wise human beings, we have to see that that self-sufficient mindset Mm. Is dangerous. Uh, Yeah. And it's totally what evil wants you to do. Evil wants you to live like that. Yeah. uh, In ways where all your issues and all your problems are just all on you, and you have to figure it out. And if you can, not then shame on you.
1: Yeah. Um, And evil wants us to believe that's actually the godly way to do something. That's that's the obedient way. That's right. To do something. Yeah. We can hear
4: that in a lot of church circles, right? Some of us maybe have grown up in churches where Mm. that was the idea, right? Yeah. that real spiritual people don't ask for help because that's a sign that you're you're broken in some way.
2: Yeah. Um,
4: and it's the complete opposite. I, mean, I would say a healthy view of spirituality says that they're actually made to depend on God and people in healthy ways. Um, hmm. And living in light of that is what makes us strong, yeah. mature, and mature.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we're already getting into this a little bit, but whenever we talk about the church and mental health, I think it's important to talk about some misperceptions that the church has about mental health. And you've already spoken to that a little bit, but is there anything else that comes to mind when you think about misperceptions that the church or Christians or maybe some of the people that come and see you
4: have about mental health? Yeah. Yeah. For some church circles, the idea of mental health has a very secular kind of ring to it, right? Like they assume that anything that's due to psychology or mental health, this is all just sort of anti-God Mm. anti-biblical ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, kind of atheistic psychology. Sure, and the
4: the tricky thing about that is that there certainly are some circles where that's what you're going to get, you know. Mm. But what's Mm. super interesting is, like, when you think about the word psychology, like, it comes from two words, right? The knowledge of the soul, which historically up until maybe 100, 150 years ago, most people would see that there's some kind of spiritual element to that. Oh, yeah. It's really only relatively recently that... People have divorced this idea of psychology from anything spiritual that has to do with God. Hmm. That's a relatively recent phenomenon. So, yeah. historically, the church in the past um, has understood kind of a more holistic view of people that says yeah. who you are and what you think and what you feel has everything to do with the fact that you're made by God mm. and you're in a relationship with Him. Yeah. Um, so for some people, they're just really skeptical of kind of the secular ring, you know, that psychology and mental health has to it. Yeah, and I totally understand that skepticism, um, but I don't think these two things have to be opposed if we just think about them in the right way and are willing to um, see God as our ultimate authority over over all things, mm-hmm. and He's He's made all things. So He's made our bodies, He made He's made our minds, uh, our hearts. He's made everything, and so because of that, everything kind of has an integrated nature to it. Yeah. Uh, We don't have to force these two things to come together. They really already are made to coexist in important ways.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation we were having about Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson is a Christian who's a psychologist, has written very thick works on (laughs) theology and psychology. Yeah. And one of the things that he says is, as humans, we are biopsychosocial spiritual realities. Yeah. And I think if we were to look at modernity, the tendency would be to remove the spiritual and to simply say that what's material is all that there is. The biosocial is it.
4: Yes. That's it.
1: But then maybe for certain circles in evangelicalism, the tendency is solely to focus on the spiritual. Would you say that's true in your experience?
4: I do, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, There's so many issues that we experience that I think happen to us on on a... on a bodily kind of level um i'll give you an example for me like my my own personal life uh over the last couple years i've developed sleep issues okay so issues where i just have a hard time getting to sleep i have a hard time um staying asleep so maybe i'll sleep halfway through the night i'll wake up in the middle of the night really hard time getting back to sleep Mm. this has gone on and on for several years wow in a way it's just been exhausting you know as time has gone on i think it's actually gotten worse Oh, wow. Until okay. recently, until I finally f- think I figured it out. <laughs> uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, so basically, I, I did a variety of things, right? So I went to um, a sleep doctor that said, you've got sleep apnea. So try tried a CPAP machine. It kind of sort of worked, but nothing really worked for long. I went to another doctor that said, you've got allergies at nighttime. So the allergies are the reason why you can't sleep. So, I did algae shots for about nine months. Okay. And it uh, kind of sort of worked, but not for very long. Yeah. Everything I did had a very short kind of shelf life to it. Yeah. Um, I've started seeing a counselor myself over uh, the course of the last several months. Mm. And um, we were talking about ways to kind of calm your body down. So, this is actually an exercise that I knew about and I would tell people about. But i never actually done it a lot myself it's kind of like a deep breathing exercise where i breathe in real okay. slowly through my through my nose i hold it for a couple seconds and then i breathe out through my mouth okay so i started doing this every night before i go to sleep and i try to make it a, a spiritual exercise as well so i, I hmm. pray while i do it so okay I, so i'll pick a little piece from the bible so maybe some place out of psalm 46 um i really like god is my refuge god is my strength a very present help in the mm. midst of trouble. Mm. So I'll, I'll say that piece of the psalm while I breathe in. I'll say another piece while I hold it. I'll say another piece while I breathe out. It's completely transformed my sleep. Wow! And so what I figured out was that my I'm anxious. Like I have an anxiety mm. problem.
1: Before, would you say you had an anxiety problem?
4: I never knew that until I realized that my body wow. felt the anxiety and was keeping me from sleep before wow. I'm consciously aware that I'm an anxious person. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it it really blew my brain because the hard thing is I wasn't laying there awake all night most nights thinking about I'm not, you know, I need to make more money, I need to provide, counseling stressful, here are all the stressful things that I saw today. Sometimes I would do that, but a lot of times there's not the conscious Awareness of anxiety, mm-hmm. laying there awake at night. There's yeah. just a frustration that I'm not sleeping.
1: Yeah,
2: right? yeah, totally. So for mm-hmm. me,
4: like it, it, really blew my mind when I began to realize that on on a bodily level, I was experiencing it even before I was consciously aware that I'm anxious. Wow. So that's as I, as I began to calm my body down every night before I go to bed, I relax my body. I get my body into a state that's just more calm that I can mm. lower my heart rate a little bit, that I can slow things down. Um, I can do an exercise that's soothing, that's peaceful, where I invite God into that moment to help me relax. Yeah, My sleep like really dramatically changed. Wow, well oh, praise God. It's been amazing. Yeah. I tell everybody about it. <laughs> Every client I see now, I'm like, you need to try deep breathing. It doesn't <laughs> matter what your problem is. Um, yeah, but, totally. But it's kind of this example we're talking about of like, mm-hmm. It was happening to me my body first before I understood anything else. Hmm. Anxiety. Like, I'm just, a, I, I think I'm an anxious person in ways that I didn't really see and understand. Yeah. So, that's a great example of like your body really matters. Yeah. There's lots of times when your body's trying to tell you something, you need to listen to it. Hmm. Like, listen to what it's saying. Maybe the depression in your body is trying to say something to you about your life. Wow. That we need to listen to that message. Hmm. Or your sleeplessness at night is telling you, like, there's an anxiety issue here. We need really need to think about this. So the body can just be a great signpost to point us towards other issues that are broken that we really need to work on.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think so often with anxiety, we can think, oh, I'm thinking the wrong thing. That's right. If I can just think the right thing or maybe believe the right thing, then sure. my anxiety will be sure. gone. Sure, and that can't help, right? Right. That totally. Can. We would right. say that. Right. But, but I hear you saying always, there's, there's another the component. That's right. Yeah, more to the more of the story.
4: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Wow, that's that's fascinating. So, do you think that could have implications for uh various individuals who struggle with anxiety maybe not just at night, but yeah. throughout the day?
4: Yeah, I would say listen listen to what your body's saying, right? Um, Hmm. Pay attention to the messages that it's sending out Um, because, again, often we experience something on a bodily level before we're consciously aware. Um, So definitely like thinking about how to relax my body, how to get my heart rate down, like in moments of anger. I Mm. see it all the time like in in relationship counseling. Yeah. Moments of anger and conflict when couples are going at it. What they don't have are tools to be able to see that like, something's happening to me in this moment on a bodily level, on a mm-hmm. spiritual level, yep. on an emotional level, that I have to be able to just slow it down wow. and calm myself down. Yeah. And if couples can learn how to do that in these moments where they see themselves getting out of control, yes. it just changes that moment, right? Yeah. It allows you the ability to think more clearly, to maybe step away from the conflict and say, you know what, I need to take out 10 minutes and I'm just going to calm my body down. Yeah, And as I calm my body down, my mind's going to follow, and I can ask for God's help in that moment, and I Mm. can see that this is a moment where God wants to help me. Yeah, And he's going to do that in a variety of ways, whether that's calming my body down or thinking about um, the negative kind of thought patterns we get sucked into. Mm -hmm. So it's huge. I mean, I think for all of us to be able to recognize um, what's happening in our bodies and how do we respond in a way that um, can deal with the problem. Right, And if that yeah. means like taking a time out of a conversation, if that means taking a five-minute break at work, if that means carving out some kind of regular daily or weekly routine to do that, we mm. just have to see that as important.
1: Hmm. Um, now, I'm, I imagine that maybe someone who hears somebody say, we need to have a self-awareness, we need to... Maybe have this focus on ourselves. They might think, "Oh, well, is that selfish, or is that yeah, driven yeah. by some sort of secular ideology sure. that's just totally consumed with right. the self?" But that's not what I hear you saying. Is yeah. that right?
4: Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, self care is the buzzword, right, <laughs> uh, in all of counseling. And there's yes. aspects of it that, that are really important and really good and totally right. like yeah. like any word that we use, we can we can bend and shape it in selfish ways. But I think we have to see to love our neighbor well, and to love people in our lives well. We have to pay attention to these things that are happening mm. inside of us. Right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I've been uh, reading the Puritans some recently, and the P- you know the Puritans can get a bad rap, and sometimes rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, but it there's there's so often in the Puritans' writings they talk about this idea of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, this idea of an honest sort of self-reflection.
4: Yeah, in a redemptive way. In a
1: redemptive way, yes. And I think you see this throughout church history. And so I think it's interesting when we can go back in the church and look at some of these practices that the church has been inhabiting for ages and uh, bring them into the present. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating, and it, especially with you talking about fighting recently, my wife and I have been having conversations about how can we fight better. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we acknowledge that we're going to fight as yeah. a, as a couple; that that's inevitable. But yeah. how do we uh, prevent the kind of nuclear bomb fights and the devastation sure. that that can cause? How scorched do we scorched
4: earth policy? The
1: scorched earth policy. How do we fight wisely? And one of the things that we read, and I can't remember who said this, but they were essentially saying if a couple is arguing, and their heart rate rises over 90 ninety-seven yeah, yeah. beats per minute, then they need to stop the yeah,
4: conversation. Yeah. That sounds like a Gottman thing. Gottman's real big on that. Is he? Yeah. Okay, and It's crazy. Like, in, like certified Gottman therapists, they'll actually put a pulse oximeter on your finger, <laughs> and they'll they'll monitor like what's happening in your heart, like your heart rate, uh, and your uh, yeah. pulse. In the midst of a counseling yes. session, and they'll say, like, once it's a certain level, back off. Right? Yeah, like, calm, calm down, take a break. Yes. Um, walk away from the conflict. Yes. And to be able to see that I have to know how to calm myself at least a little bit in this moment to regain a sense of control mm. um, so that I don't cross the red line into really destructive anger, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's a great example of, like, that kind of self-awareness is going to enable you to love your wife really well.
2: Mm. Yeah. So it
4: can't be a selfish endeavor, right? If if the outcome's going to be, you know, what I'm actually going to know myself well enough to know when I need to be quiet and walk away in an argument. Yes. So I can come back and love my wife better. Yes.
1: It's uh, so good. What just came to mind was, uh, Jay Jay Stringer is a pastor and a counselor. He's written a book called Unwanted that I would highly recommend. Uh, He's talking about unwanted sexual behaviors in our life. And one of the things that he says in the book that I thought was so interesting is he says, so often we pray for God to take away our sin, and that's right and good, and we should pray for that. But he says we should also be praying that God would help us understand our sin. And so I think about a marriage fight, for instance, and either a husband or wife who gets angry— and whose heart rate increases and then in their anger lashes out, sins against their partner. And then in the uh you know the hours or her days that follow uh hate that and don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. And and, and hate their sin and say, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Would you help me take that away? What I think is so interesting about what you're saying is there's kind of this multifaceted way of looking at it yeah. that doesn't negate the spiritual side and the fact that we have sinned against our partner, but also acknowledges uh, that we have bodies and that the enemy can use our bodily reactions yeah. for his purposes. Would for you sure. say that's right?
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's amazing. Like the things that happen on the bodily level when we feel things, right? I learned. I think I learned this from the Goblins mm-hmm. that um, when you are angry, blood's actually flowing into your hands because you are getting ready to fight. Like your body is physically hardwired to get ready to fight. When right. I, when I am angry, uh-huh. and when I am afraid, they say that your blood will f- rush and flow into your feet. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense, right? Like when yeah. I am afraid, my body is getting ready to run away. Wow. Um, so just paying attention to these things in our bodies, I think, again, is just a huge resource in how to love and care for each other. Well,
1: yeah. And so I think part of the hope would be that if we've gotten into talking about, (laughs) uh, marriage arguments, which I think is a, a good topic to talk about. But so I think in when a couple's having a fight, a husband and a wife, would you say that? You know, f- for both of them, their ability to have a sense of self-awareness and what's happening in their body, and maybe what patterns they fall into when they're in this state can huge. be can be really helpful. It's essential.
4: Hmm. It's essential. I see it all the time. I see a lot of people that have been through trauma, like really serious trauma. Wow. So when they get around somebody who feels unsafe, something is happening to them that they don't see and they don't understand. Wow. So, you know, heart rate's getting jacked up. There's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, and really a lot of times it can even be a trauma response, like it's it's fight or flight, so there's something that's been kicked on inside of them that just says, this person's a threat, and they're a- after you, and they're going to harm you, so you either need to say and do whatever you can to get the threat away by lashing out or to just completely avoiding the situation, right? Yeah. I see it a lot in in couples counseling situations where people don't understand the effects of their past trauma and how in these moments of scary conflict where someone's angry with them, where they perceive a threat, again, something's happening on a physiological level that kind of takes over Mm -hmm. and they don't see the ways that it's taking over and hijacking this conflict in a way that just accelerates it in a way that makes it get out of control really quickly. So for any couple that I would say that's had any significant trauma in your past, you need to think about in these moments of conflict, there's connections there to the past, right? That are happening. Um, Your body has remembered what has happened to you far better than you've remembered what has happened to you most likely. Hmm. And so your body's ready to do fight or flight or freeze some kind of trauma response whenever it's in a situation that perceives danger, right? So Hmm. a lot of times in, Couples counseling, I just see all the time these trauma responses can just totally hijack things and take over in ways that people don't see and and discern. Wow. So it's huge to kind of have that sense of self-awareness, right? And all of us, right, have been through something traumatic in our past that I think continues to have some kind of imprint on us Mm -hmm. um, that we just need to think about.
1: Yeah, we've had on the podcast before, Bone Armistead, who is a trauma-informed therapist, works with people that experience PTSD, PTSD, he came on, he talked about EMDR, it was really a fascinating podcast, but he talked about big T trauma and little t trauma, right? and how these big T traumas can be uh, violence against you, or violence that you witness, or a life-threatening situation that you've been in, when you think about war veterans having PTSD, or people in a life-threatening accident, or something like that, but that all of us experience little t traumas in our life. Would you say that that's true as well? For sure.
4: Okay. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, one more thing I was going to say is when you were talking about that, it reminded me, uh, one therapist I was listening to and on another podcast, uh, he said that when a couple's in a fight and one individual looks at another and says, you're just like my father, you're just like, my mother, well, the spouse that's just been offended is totally like, what are you talking about? Like how right, could right, right. you make possibly that say that? Yeah. How could you make that accusation? And what the therapist pointed out that I thought was interesting is he said in that moment, the spouse that is is accusing the other spouse, um, they feel like they have previously with a parent. In the, in the present moment, the, the spouse or the other person doesn't have to be a spouse who's in front of them is making them feel like they felt when they were with their dad or made them feel like they felt when they were with their mom or who, or whoever may not be. And so I think it's fascinating to think about that kind of implicit memory and how that shapes how we feel in the present moment, whether that's a fight or or something else.
4: Yeah. 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 That's super interesting. Um, Yeah, what's so tough in that moment is that if you're on the receiving end of that, if you're on the receiving end of that accusation, it's just so difficult to see what's happening in that moment and that your spouse who's saying that to you is really terrified. Mm. Like, there's just so much fear there. Mm. And even if there's an angry, you know, oppositional response, um, almost always there's there's some kind of fear there that's been triggered that's just really important that we just miss in that moment. Yeah. Instead, we feel hurt. We feel attacked. We defend ourselves, um, and then attack and defend is kind of the the cycle we get stuck in. Yeah, totally. Something else with couples: can, if couples can just see past anger in some of these moments and see the other emotional things that are happening, it's a huge way we can just slow that moment down.
1: Wow. Could you say that one more time? Because I feel like that's so good.
4: Uh, the part about anger. Well, yeah, yeah what you yeah, just yeah. said
1: about what's going on in the moment.
4: Yeah, yeah, like. So if we can see past the anger that happens in these moments of conflict with our spouse and see the other emotional things that are happening that are really important, uh, things like fear, things like, I feel really ashamed. I feel really sad. Um, if we can begin to get to these other emotional, um, experiences, it just gives, begins us to give us the ability to show some compassion, right? To our spouse. When we see that in this moment, um, my spouse is fighting something else, and not primarily me. Hmm. Right? Wow! And he or she does not see this in this moment. Yeah, that the enemy is not really me. That's not really me. They're fighting, right? Wow. They're fighting that feeling they got when they grew up and they got yelled at all the all the time by their dad. <sighs> they're fighting that feeling of shame, right? Hmm. That they felt when someone spoke to them in a way that made them feel rejected. Right? Wow! Yeah. But, and it's hard to see that, right? But if again, couples can just see that in this moment, like you're not really the enemy. Uh, there's some other enemy here that this person is fighting, mm-hmm. and it's not really about you. Um, we can just become less defensive wow. and begin to see that God wants me to help my spouse fight the fear right now. Yeah. That he or she is feeling. Yeah. God wants me to help my spouse fight the shame that he or she is feeling. Huh. Um, evil strategy is for you to he- always hear that as an attack, and it's all about you and for you to get defensive and f- just fight back yeah and we just to defend why you're right that's right <laughs> go into lawyer mode yeah your inner alexander Shinar gets activated
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
4: that's damn. a wrong accusation and here are my 10 airtight arguments yes that's the why oh man i've been so real fall, good at that
1: oh i've fallen to that i've fallen to that yeah i've, I've heard it said uh put up the jello wall and uh what's meant by that is you have all these words that are coming at you. And yeah. if there's this jello wall in front of you, the jello kind of slows down the words yeah, yeah. <laughs> and allows you to to think about the words that are coming at you. Yeah. And then that slowing down of the words, you can ask yourself, okay, what's true? Yeah. Right. So um you never listen to me.
4: Yeah.
1: <sighs> You know, it hurts. It does. And, you know, is that it, true? No. <laughs> okay, no. No. So then maybe there's something that else going on here. For sure. And that maybe there's it's Something else not, that, ch-
4: that is true that this person yeah. has a very hard time saying.
1: Yeah, that maybe it's not me. Yeah. And maybe there's something going on. And maybe that allows me to enter into what's happening with some compassion and some curiosity instead of entering right. in like I'm going into a courtroom. For as sure.
4: A lawyer. That's right.
1: Um, or maybe with what they're saying, it's true. <laughs> what they're saying is actually right, even if they aren't saying it in the most loving and compassionate way. Right. And then can that allow you to, to say, you know what? I am wrong. Yeah. And to be able in vulnerability to say, I am wrong, I'm sorry, and I do and I do love you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, well, like, you know, we continued on with the marriage conversation, but all of that is, is so good and I think can a- apply not only to marriages, right, would you say that's true, but uh, all, all relationships sure. and, and relational conflict. For sure. Yeah. Okay, well, Eric, I think this is a good time to take a break and to do a lightning round. How do you feel about that?
4: I feel great about that. Okay.
1: Okay, I do want to be cautious of your time, because I know you have a, uh, other things going on today, so we're going to really speed through this lightning round. The lightning round, I'm going to ask you uh, questions, and you have to respond as quickly as you can, okay? All right, here we go. All right. Favorite vacation spot?
4: That I've ever been on myself, personally? Sure, yeah. Um... I did an epic west trip growing up when I was younger. I did two of them with my family, and we did Colorado, Wyoming, South Dakota. Pretty Ooh. much almost any of those places are fantastic. You like the mountains? I do. I'm a big mountain person. Uh, Love the mountains. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Custer Hills State Park in South Dakota. Okay. That's a beautiful place.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of people that travel to state parks at this church. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. in okay. Buffalo.
1: Oh, yeah. How do you like your eggs?
4: Don't like him. Period. That's you're, super easy.
1: We ask this question to everyone that comes on the podcast. You're the first person to say that. So you're yeah. in a you're in a league of your own there. Yeah. Uh, did you, you did you just never eat eggs growing up? What never. happened? Wow.
4: What happened, what happened to you? <laughs> yeah. What is your trauma? Let's ex-
1: let's explore this. Uh, name something that you think is overrated.
4: Overrated. Oh, that's a really good one. Um. Overrated making the bed every day. Oh, um, I it's, do that. My wife's big on it, and I'm just like, why? It, yeah. It's just gonna get messed up and within a matter of hours. Yes. Why M- should we make the bed?
1: My anxiety and heart rate rise when the bed is not made and I have to leave. Okay. What's the most well, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been?
4: Most beautiful. Ooh, that's a tough one too. Um I'm gonna go with Belize. Belize. Wow, it's beautiful. Uh, I've
1: never been. I want to go though. Okay, who inspires you?
4: Um, it's a hard one too. You can, I could pick uh, dead people. I could pick. Um, I know. People who are alive. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a really hard to answer quickly.
1: <laughs> I know. That's that is uh, the the challenge of the lightning round.
4: Inspires me. You can always say pass Uh, if you need to. I'll go with the last book that I read. Okay. I loved. A guy named uh, Dan Orland. uh, Gentle and Lowly is the name of the book. Oh, man.
1: Such a good book.
4: I love that book. Yeah, our church
1: got a ton of free copies, so we've been handing it out. I love it. Yes. Great pick. Uh, Name a TV show you're currently watching.
4: I don't ever watch TV, hardly ever. Really? Yeah. (laughs) College football on Saturdays, other than that. I'm just I'm too wore out, dude. By the okay. time I get to bed by get home, get my kids in bed, I might read a book thirty yeah. to forty five minutes, and then I'm done, I'm toast.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So what what's your who's your favorite college football team?
4: Alabama, Roll Time. Okay. One of those crazy Alabama you know, fans. You know,
1: I'm an Auburn guy and I watch way too much T V. Our differences are being placed before us, Eric. I didn't know there would be this controversy. I didn't know you were an Auburn fan. How about yes, that? Yes. I learned something new about you today. We're we're a church divided, yeah uh okay uh what would you choose for your last
4: meal my last meal on earth (laughs) yes um a chicken pesto calzone (laughs) (laughs) i love that
1: what about your favorite restaurant in birmingham
4: that's a hard one too um well Mm, way back in the day and I first got married in uh-huh. right down here in Central Avenue oh I used to be able to walk to Nabil's from my apartment right there on Central
1: I've never been
4: it's fantastic oh, I haven't go. been in a long time but it's real good
1: okay we should go for one of our lunch hangouts we should that'd be amazing alright when you see animals at the zoo do you get happy or sad
4: Uh, it depends on the animal
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> if you could see one band dead or alive perform who would it be
4: Dead or alive. That's tough. So I saw Tadeshi Trucks back earlier in the summer. Now I've been okay. hearing advertisements this whole week that they're coming to the BJCC this Friday. Oh. And every time I hear the commercial on the radio, I'm secretly longing for a way to go to that concert, <laughs> which is not going to happen, but they're really good.
1: Okay. Love it. What's the fastest speed you've ever driven in a car?
4: Oh. Uh, not that fast. I'm a pretty boring guy. Okay. I think I was with somebody in high school that maybe pushed a hundred. Okay, okay. Do you think aliens could exist? I'm hopeful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Alright, I love that you just don't have to defend your answers with the lightning round. That's what's so great about this. Uh okay. Outside of the Bible, if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be?
4: Hmm, anyone from history. Um That's a great question. Uh, that's a really hard one. Anybody from history? Um, you know, I, I like Civil War history, so I think like anybody from the Civil War era would be super fascinating. Like one of the big generals, like Grant, yeah. or Lee, Sherman, yeah. Lee. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be super fascinating to sit down and talk with We've about gotten, we've what gotten, was that a- whole Civil War thing about. Yeah, you, you
1: know? know, we've gotten a lot of Abraham Lincolns.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: That's true. Okay. Uh, two more questions. Who would play you in a movie of your life?
4: Who would play me? <laughs> Tom Cruise. Just Tom kidding. Cruise. Oh, I, yeah. ha- I have not. I hate Tom Cruise. <laughs> They're probably you hate be- Tom Cruise? I'm not a fan. You don't like any fan. of his movies? I like some of his movies. Okay. But he's the same guy in every movie, <laughs> it's the same guy. I mean, I think it's... Just like Zoolander. It's the same look. Like (laughs) It's just like that with Tom Cruise. It's the same character no matter what it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So it wouldn't be Tom Cruise. Who would it be?
4: Uh, I've been uh, favorably uh, compared to that guy on Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know his name. John Mark would just know his
1: name. He knows everybody in regards to movies. But yeah. Okay. That's a good
4: pick. Yeah. I can't remember his name. So either
1: him or maybe Tom Cruise is a backup if... No, Tom no, Cruise came definitely in. Definitely not. List. Okay, definitely yeah. not. All right, and then last question: If you could tell a couple in a fight one word, what would that one word be?
4: Um, understand.
1: Understand. Lovely. Yeah. That's it, Eric. You have survived the lightning round. Well done. You did great. How do you How do you think you did? How would you assess your performance?
4: I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Love the sound effects. Those are so dope.
1: <laughs> okay, very good. Well, our time is coming to an end, uh, but I just have one or two more questions, if that's all right. Will that work for you? Go for it. Okay, awesome. Uh, the first is last night, uh, our elders met for our monthly elder meeting. We prayed for the body, and just time and time again, it kept coming up that people in our body are dealing with anxiety in depression uh, particularly as this season with the holidays and the cold yep. and yep. getting dark earlier so this might be an impossible question but if you were to give a brief word to these people yeah. who are in their anxiety and depression what would what would you want them to know
4: oh there's a lot of things we could say that I hope would be helpful yeah i would say you're not alone mm. Other people, other people, on some level, understand your pain. Yeah.
1: yeah, mental health issues have this tendency to make people feel isolated.
4: For sure, right, and, yeah. and alone. For sure, yeah. That's a huge reason why we don't talk about it more, right? Because again, I think evil strategy is always to isolate people than to to jump on their back hard when the, once they get alone. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we hear that voice that says nobody's going to really understand, right, Uh, what it is that we're facing, that there's not going to be anybody there if we actually reach out. And the beautiful news is that that's not true, right, Um, because we belong to Jesus and his body, and we're connected to each other. Yeah. There are other people there, right, that we we can reach out to, and we just have to see that we're really playing into evil strategy when you listen to that voice saying you're all alone, no one's gonna be there. No one's gonna understand. Yeah, um, we have to see through that as a, a terrible lie.
1: Wow, oh, that's good.
4: Um, yeah. So just just reach out, right, and um, realize you're not alone, mm-hmm. and uh, find somebody who is a compassionate Christ-like person who you who you can just share your pain with. Hmm. You know, um, yeah. for a lot of us, we think pain is a problem to solve, hmm. and more often than not, it's really not that. It's, it's a burden God actually wants us to help each other carry. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's how most of us want to experience it. Yeah, Because for a lot of our pain, there's not a quick fix. There's not a quick solution. Yeah. But it does change the experience to know I can share that with somebody else. Mm. And they're going to listen, and they're going to care, and they're going to sh- give me this experience of what God's love is like so that I just yeah. know I'm not alone, uh, and that God's going to be with me and for me, and other people are going to be with me and for me. Hmm. And that gives us the ability to endure and persevere yeah. when there's no quick fix.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, so often I hear people say, whether it's in regards to anxiety, whether it's regard in regards to depression, whether it's in regards to mar- marital conflict, there seems to be this sense of hopelessness yep. that it's been like this for a while. It'll it's currently change. like this, and it will, yeah, it will never change. Yeah. Yeah. What would you want them to know in the midst of that?
4: Yeah, again, I think... Evil wants us to believe things can never change. And I think as Christians, um, the only way th- we're really stuck and hopeless is if you actually listen to that voice. Mm. Right. If you, if you listen to the voice that says things will never change and we don't want to get any help, we don't want to ask for help, we don't want to m- do anything different than what we've already done, then we actually begin to create the very thing we're afraid of the most, mm. which it doesn't have to be that way. You know, yeah, it really doesn't. And I think that voice of despair and hopelessness is one of the most important s- spiritual battles every single Christian fights because we hear that voice in so many different aspects of life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's a broken relationship with someone in your family, mm-hmm. whether it's a particular sin, a sexual sin, or anger or something something else that just feels like um, it's beat you down for so long that it's hard to believe it could ever change. Um, we experience that voice of despair. In a lot of ways. And again, we have to see that as a huge uh, part of spiritual warfare, right? Mm. That yeah. evil, evil is speaking in that voice of despair, and evil is saying these very profound things, that if I actually trust that voice and listen to it, mm. then it really is hopeless, right? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. By God's grace, we can, we can reject that lie and say, uh, if God is with me and God is for me, there's always hope for change. Yeah. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how painful it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, feeling alone, um, feeling hopeless. Another word I hear people say a lot, you said it just a few moments ago, shame. Yeah. How do you see shame affecting the lives of the Christian clients or clients that come and and see you?
4: It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I think um, as the years go on, I've begun to see kind of that corrosive power of shame. Um, Mm. And shame is tricky because I think... For a lot of us, at least, it can start with uh, even appropriate or healthy conviction or guilt over something wrong that I've done. Yeah, that's a good point. But it took me a long time in my own life to begin to see that uh, there's an enormous difference between a godly sense of guilt versus a corrosive, destructive experience of shame. Mm. Um, Mm. Evil wants us to feel that shame. God does not.
1: How would you help someone kind of distinguish between those two things? Yeah. Maybe some, what are some markers, maybe? Well, I
4: think shame is never going to tell you how to, how to go forward and change anything in a redemptive way. Hmm. Shame never gives you a roadmap to change anything for the better. Wow. It only leaves you stuck. Yeah. So shame only wants to point out what's broken. It'll never say, oh, here's how we can, we can change that. Hmm. Here's how yeah. this can be transformed. Right. Yeah. So if, if the voice is only telling you what's wrong and what's broken and there's never anything hopeful about it, it's a really good indicator this is not God's voice. Yeah. This is evil's voice hmm. that's harmful. Yeah. And for me, for a long time, I think I used to think that, you know, repenting of my sin meant that I just beat the mess out of myself hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, and if I felt bad enough, then maybe finally I was repenting good enough.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
4: And you just, you just don't see it in the Bible at all, right? I mean, right. Uh, one of the most stunning things to me is in Psalm 51, in the aftermath of David's sin. Serious, terrible, yeah. life, life-wrecking sin, right? Totally, totally. Adultery, murder, uh, in the midst of this psalm of repentance, he prays, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Think about the boldness in going to God after you've done these terrible things and praying for joy. Wow. Can we do that in, in the aftermath of our sin? Wow. Because that's what God actually wants you to do. Yeah. And to see that I can know joy, joy that Jesus is enough to forgive the worst possible thing I could ever do. Hmm. Um, And that God is for me, he's not against me. Yeah. Um, So it's huge to make that distinction between, I think, good godly conviction, which leads us to repentance, which leads us to restoration to God. Yeah. When we confess our sins to others, Um, many times that's a place of restoration yeah, and That's very different than this voice that says, you're terrible, you're awful. These identity-making you know making statements that just say, this is who you are, and this is broken, and it's never going to change.
1: Hmm. Wow. That reminds me of one class, we're talking about ACT theory. And one of the things that ACT theory says, or either ACT, I'm not 100% sure on that, so I might be wrong, but it says, think at your thoughts, not from your thoughts. Yeah, And I think that goes back to that. Uh, Idea of self-awareness that we were talking about and this ability to reflect on is this conviction that's coming from the Holy Spirit that leads to life and godliness and redemption and is voiced in love or is this voice coming from an inner critic? Is this voice coming from shame? Is this voice in anger? Because then that's not from the Holy Spirit. And so often we can think that that voice that's bringing shame or what have you lies is, is the true voice is, is reality. That's right. Yeah. God's voice. That's right. Yeah. That's so helpful. Well, Eric, our time is coming to an end. I do want to to honor it. There's so much more that we could talk about. We'll have to come have you back on to have, to have more conversations. We'd love to do that. Uh, But just to close a pretty basic question, but one that I think is important is, who do you think should see a counselor?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, anybody that wants help. <laughs> yeah. Right, I and mean, that's yeah. a really broad answer. Um, but if you want help, right, Yeah, you feel like something is broken, uh, reach out and call somebody. Call a pastor, call a friend, call a professional counselor. Mm. Um, yeah,
1: and I love just to... Uh, reemphasize what you've already said is that that's actually an act of strength and courage and not an act of weakness.
4: That's exactly right. Mm. God actually made you to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. And so that's actually a way of worshiping God and honoring Him. Absolutely. By doing that.
4: Absolutely. Wow. We're professing by faith what the Bible says about being made in God's image and being people that fundamentally were made to depend on each other in healthy Mm. ways. Yeah. And to ask for help. Wow.
1: I mean, what a shift from the stigma that we were talking about earlier. That's so good. So say someone is listening to this. They say, man, I really like Eric. I really like what he's had to say. I'd be interested in sitting down with him. How would somebody go about doing
4: that? Yeah, email is the best way to communicate for us at Daymark. Okay. Um, Someone can always call the office to leave a message, but email is the fastest way. So my email address is just my first name, Eric, E-R-I-C at Daymark counseling.com.
1: Yeah. And say there's someone that wants to see a, a female counselor. Does yeah. Daymark have uh, female counselors We do. Is we there? have two.
4: Yeah. We have two great okay. uh, female counselors, a lady named Betty, a lady named Sarah. Um, Betty's been there since last year. Sarah just started. I'm really excited about both of those women. I think they're going to be really gifted counselors.
1: Awesome. Yep. So Daymark sees individuals and Daymark also sees couples, couples right? That's right. Yep. And okay. then,
4: um, some adolescent counseling, you know, uh, Betty and Sarah will do as well.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. I've learned so much, even just from our conversation, I always enjoy our time together. I walk away feeling edified and having a, a little better sense of not only myself and how I operate, but also God who he is and how he works in his ways. So very Great. thankful for you.
4: That's very kind of you, Brad. I appreciate you and your friendship.
1: All right. Well, this has been another episode of shades midweek. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at midweek at dot And we will get those questions to Eric and get back to you. Thanks for listening.